We've come here tonight to listen to a wondrous story counted once among the lost to worship and to remember the one who said and only he could say, I am the way who delivered the gospel for all and freely receive, freely give. And we will ask the question tonight, who will follow that Jesus that we have sang about, prayed through, and worshipped in our service tonight? Indeed, singing these songs are important, not just to check the box to say that we sang some songs because it's Sunday evening service, but because they are songs that ring true both when they were written decades or years ago as true as they are today. And indeed, I appreciate so much the good song leaders this weekend who have chosen songs as their very best effort to go with the topic of what we're trying to do over the course of our studies tonight. The gospel is for all. And the fact of the matter is, it is the gospel to which you and I are converted. And I want to talk tonight about what it means to be converted to the gospel by using a text in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you'd like to open there and get settled in there, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And then what we'll do is we'll talk about what conversion is and what converted to the gospel is all about and what the gospel's impact is for each of us. Let me, if I could, just take two to three minutes of your time to say to you collectively, thank you for the great kindness that you have shown to Wendy and to me. I'm very thankful to your four elders for the invitation to be with you. And it is not lost on me that the course of this gospel meeting is more than just a gospel meeting, but it is an opportunity For you to take a look at me and for me to take a look at you. And I hope that you will see someone that is concerned with preaching the gospel and that cares. Someone once said, it's not so much what you know, it's just that you care. I appreciate so much the kindness that you have shown me, the hospitality that you have shown me over the last three days. You have been more kind to me than people have been in a long, long time. And I'm very thankful for that. These waters that we are charting, as Jim talked about Friday evening, are uncharted for you. It's uncharted for David. And it's new for me. And I would be wrong to tell you that it's not a little bit with a sense of angst and uncertainty as to what the future holds for me and for this good church at Northfield Boulevard. But I hope that whatever the case may be, wherever our paths may take us, both personally and collectively, that we can join in the great song that we sang this morning, both in this lifetime and when we are in heaven, we are one. I will tell you this. That in looking at you, our assessment of you is a positive one. You are a very caring group of people. You care deeply about the truth. You care deeply about each other. 
And we are impressed with that. Let me say particularly about one individual that I am impressed with as well. And who I have enjoyed getting to know him and his wife a great deal over the last couple of months. I don't have to tell you what an asset you have in David and in Teresa. And whoever comes to work shoulder to shoulder with him will have a privilege of working with someone who cares about the gospel message. And you are very fortunate to have him to work with you. And I'm thankful to be considered as a part of this work in doing the good work that he's already doing. But enough of that before I cry and maybe you cry. And let's go on to the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I believe that this text is so important when talking about what it means to be converted to the gospel. Beginning in verse 14 where we picked up and where we ended our reading just a few moments ago. The Apostle Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. How apropos to Father's Day today, right? For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. And for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere and in every church. I grew up watching Sesame Street, and I like Sesame Street for a number of reasons. I like Sesame Street because of the count. Who likes to count. And, and one of the things that is lost on children today who don't watch Sesame Street is you're missing out on some of the greatest characters in the history of American television. Bernie. Or Bert. Bert Bernie. It's been a long weekend. <laughs> you guys may be a little stressed. Well, you know what? I'm a little stressed too. <laughs> but I'm happy to be here. But Ernie and Bert. And the count? Well, on Sesame Street, they would always have the episode that is brought to you by the letter A and the letter G, for example, and by the number four. Well, tonight's sermon is brought to you by the letter C, because C is so important in our study tonight by looking at verses 14 through 17. I want to acknowledge first That verse 14, where Paul says, I'm writing these things to warn you, is because Paul was concerned about saints, especially to those whom he had a hand in teaching. Paul was concerned about his spiritual children, and he acknowledges that he is kind of a father figure to them. And he says, I care about you. There's yet another C in our list of C's. And I have concern for you. This is certainly going to be the case with the Christians at Corinth, given his strong attraction to them, as illustrated by the extended time that he spent with them, as recorded and referenced in Acts chapter 18. But a second C in our list comes from verse 16, where Paul says, I urge you, imitate me. 
Before we get to that second C, can you ever imagine writing a letter or these days maybe sending a text or an email to someone to try to encourage them spiritually and say, I want you to imitate me. I don't know that I could do that. I'd be afraid because I'm imperfect. But you know what? Paul was, I'm, yeah, Paul was imperfect as well. Paul wasn't perfect. He was not complete. He had issues that he had to work with as well. The fact is, is Paul was secondly confident in himself that he can make this type of statement. And again, I pose this question, could we make the same statement, imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus, as he would elsewhere say in one of his writings? And thirdly, looking at verse 17, for this reason I've sent Timothy to you, that it reminds you of the ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in church. If you like underlining things in your Bible, you might consider underlining the word everywhere. He says, I teach everywhere the same thing, which tells me that Paul was consistent in his teachings. So Paul was concerned about the saints. He was confident in himself, not that he was perfect, but that he was strong enough in his faith that he could say, imitate me. And he was consistent in his teachings when he says, I teach everywhere. But I want to go back to verse 15, because you may think, well, you skipped verse 15, preacher. Why didn't you talk about that? Well, that's because I wanted to spend just an extra minute or two just on verse 15, which goes to the heart of the song, the gospel is for all. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, notice the phrase that he used, I have begotten you through the gospel. I love that phrase. I have begotten you through the gospel. Why is that phrase so important? Well, might I suggest, and I believe this is one of the great tools of Bible study, and if I got a nickel for every time I recommended Bible Hub or BibleGateway.com, I'd be having a lot of nickels. Uh, because I recommend those websites an awful lot. Because those are websites where you can literally have three, four, five translations open at the same time, versions open at the same time, different options to look at those and compare them left to right, right to left. And I like the NIV on this particular occasion where he says, I became your father through the gospel. What does it mean that he became their father through the gospel? Well, if you're looking at a literal translation, he says, I became your father through the good news. And as good Bible students, you know that the gospel is the idea of euangelion. The idea of good news such that evangelism in which we are all engaged in which we're challenging ourselves to do an even better job in the future of this church or any church that you may be a part of is all about spreading the good news. So we have to acknowledge before we move on any further that it's possible that when individuals are converted that they are converted through things besides the gospel. What do I mean by that? I believe that it's possible to be converted to a number of different things that are not correct. But we want to be converted to the gospel, as we'll come back and talk about it. Let me share with you three things that we can be converted to. One of those is we can be converted to the local preacher. We can be converted to a local teacher. 
If you want to understand that in greater detail, read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says, I am concerned that some of you who were baptized by me are saying, hey, look, I'm a Pauline Christian. Some of you who were baptized by Cephas are saying, look at me, I am of Cephas, I'm of Peter. And then some who are of Apollos. He says that's not the case at all. In a situation where you have multiple preachers working, here's a direct application. It's not about who's better and who's not. It's not about who's preaching and who's not. What is important is that the message is being taught and that the message is being preached. And so we have to make sure that we keep our eyes, to borrow from Hebrews chapter 12 and the New American Standard, fixed on Jesus, fixed on the prize. There is no such thing as being converted to the preacher. And you know what's unfortunate is that most of our friends who are uh, steeped in denominationalism have been converted to local pastors or local preachers. That because the preacher is so dynamic, because he, he is so eloquent, because he talks really well, and he waxes eloquent for hours and hours and hours, that he is the one that you are drawn to and converted to that particular character. On that note, some people are converted to the denomination. Now, we know that there's no such thing as authority for baptism into a denomination. Never do we see where a person is baptized and then put into a denomination. But yet, there are people that are friends of ours that are well-meaning but just misguided who will teach that exact thing, that you've got to be baptized in order to be a part of this denomination. I don't read about that in the Scriptures. And so, therefore, we do not practice that. Furthermore, there's no authority for more than one church. If I was going to do a basic, back-to-basics authority topic, I would go to Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church. And he talks about it in a singular, definitive way to suggest that there can be multiple churches and all leading to heaven is the furthest thing from the truth because it's the furthest thing from the gospel message that you and I are reading tonight. And let me also suggest that sometimes people are converted to the family. I'm not talking about to a spiritual family because you can make an argument that we are converted uh, to the church, converted to the gospel, converted through the gospel, and we are a part of a spiritual family. I understand that. But have you ever known of someone who's been baptized because that's what his wife wanted him to do? Because that's what mom and dad wanted them to do? Because that's what my girlfriend or boyfriend wanted me to do? I've known of individuals who have done that and have said that they regretted doing that because they were not cautious as to why they were being baptized. And that's why whenever someone comes to me and says, you know what, I think it's time for me to be baptized, there are going to be a series of questions that I'm going to ask them, including, well, why do you want to be baptized? Now, that may sound like a silly question, but I'm asking the question because I want to get from them that they are actually doing it for the right reason and reasons. I want to be converted. I want to be saved from my sins. I want to serve Jesus Christ. I want to die to my old man. Those are the kinds of things that we look for in a person's response to that kind of question. But let's go back to where we began, and that is converted to the gospel. Paul says, I have begotten you through the gospel. The fact of the matter is, if we're converted to the gospel 
and we are converted through the gospel, through the good news, that this is the book that teaches us about right and wrong, we need to appreciate some facts about the good news. Let me share with you three, maybe four observations. Number one, the gospel is not to be concerned with the pleasing of men. Now, we want people when they come here or they come to any church building that when they come to one of our assemblies, we want them to have a positive experience. But at the same time, we do not want a positive experience at the expense of the truth being short-sighted. What I mean by that is simple. There are some things that when you preach, it makes you feel good. I feel stronger. I feel better. The preacher just really emboldened me in my service to God. And then there's that thing that has been misnamed negative preaching. There's no such thing as negative preaching because preaching about hell, preaching about sin, preaching about the things that will keep us from faithful service to God are not negative things, but are reminders of why we need to be positively focused on serving God. So there's no such thing as negative preaching in that definition. You understand what I'm saying? The fact of the matter is, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 4, the Apostle Paul, again, as the primary author of the New Testament, says the following in verse 4. He says, As we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And so when we stand up and defend the gospel message or preach it or teach it, we are doing so knowing full well that others may be an objection to it. First Peter chapter four talks at great length about that. If you're going to suffer, you suffer as a Christian or you suffer for what's doing right. Incidentally, the word suffer or suffering is used more frequently in a compact text in first Peter than in any other place in the New Testament. And there's something to be said for that. Secondly, gospel conversion means each one teach one. And I appreciate the brother singing that, leading us in that song where the idea is, is we get the gospel and we benefit from it. And then we take the gospel and help someone else benefit from it. I understand that that is the pattern that is laid out in Second Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 2. There... Paul again writes, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So sometimes we use the phrase, each one, teach one. And if we do that as individuals, if we do that as family members, and if we do that broadly as a congregation of the Lord's people, we are going to be doing a great service to our community in spreading the gospel to them. More on the liberal spreading of the gospel in just a moment. Thirdly, might I submit to you that when it comes to the gospel, the gospel is specifically specific. You say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, let me share with you two passages that I think will help understand. One is in 2 Corinthians and the other is in the book of Galatians. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want us to look at the first three or four verses here very quickly. And then we'll look at the text in Galatians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly and indeed you bear with me. For I, Paul says... 
am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed to you one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest how somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, my fear is, dot, 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 you may very well put up with it. This reminds me of the text in Galatians, and many of you already know where I'm going. And it's to Galatians chapter 1, where there the apostle says, If anyone comes to you and preaches a doctrine different than what you have already been taught, let that person be accursed. Paul goes as far as to say, I don't care if the person's an angel. And says, look at me, I am from God and I'm here to deliver this new message. You do not believe that person or persons because the gospel is specifically specific and it does not change. Are you aware that some churches, again, well-intentioned, filled with good people who are just misguided, but people who are still in error that every year or every other year, their denominational headquarters sets out to renew their rules or to change their rules. And they'll come up with rule number 12, which is different than what it was the previous year. And so their doctrines change, their methods change, the things that they are teaching change. The gospel is specifically specific, and to quote from Jude 3, was once delivered for all. And let me suggest number four, I know I said three or four, but let me suggest number four that the message of the gospel is more important than anything else. I want to go look at this passage here before we close out here in just a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you may see you're spending an awful lot of time in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Well, If you're familiar with Paul's letters to the church at Corinth, you understand why the gospel message was so important, given the fact that they struggled to follow that gospel so so accurately. So in chapter 9 and verse 12, he says, If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right but to endure all things lest we hinder. Now, here we go. Remember Sesame Street. I like to count. Let's count them. The gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. Then verse 16 and following. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with this stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. I count 
Eight times. Eight times in the course of just a few verses where this word, the gospel, it is used here more frequently in a shorter span of text than any place in the entire New Testament. And again, knowing the audience to whom Paul was addressing makes perfect sense why he had to talk to them. That message of the gospel is more important than anything. More important than my own will and my own desires. Like we talked about this morning, sometimes you may have to eat that dish that just doesn't look that appetizing just so that you can still have a one-on-one interaction with the person and therefore be able to teach them the gospel. Well, let me conclude with this, and that is the gospel's impact. Given the fact that the gospel is vitally important to our conversion, we haven't even really touched on that particular aspect tonight, but we understand that without the gospel, there's no such thing as conversion. Because without the gospel, there's no such thing as the news that we can read, be taught, understand, and obey. But given how important it is, what should we walk away with? Well, let me suggest three applications for learning. Number one, the result of the gospel always is dependent on the hearer. Second Corinthians chapter 4 seems to talk about that in verses 3 and 4. Even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The fact of the matter is, is our responsibility is to spread the gospel message, to do so liberally without regard for whoever hears it. We are not seeking individuals who will be receptive to the truth while we are seeking individuals who are receptive to the truth. We are seeking individuals to spread the truth to, hoping that it will fall on good and honest hearts. Go back and read Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus in that great parable of the sower does not say, when you go out to sow, that you pick and choose who you talk to. And I've been as guilty of it as anybody else of prejudging a person based on the way that he looks or based on the clothes that she wears or based on the context in which I was introduced to that person of saying, this person isn't going to be interested in the gospel message, so I shouldn't waste my time in trying to talk. I've been guilty of that. And that ought not be the case. Rather that we spread the gospel message to all people at all times to follow what, G, follow what Paul's great example was. Secondly, we will be judged by the gospel, so we should best know its message. Let me very quickly take you to three passages. One in Romans chapter 2, the other in Romans chapter 10, and the other in the book of John. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16, the apostle there writes, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, According to my, watch it, gospel. Then in Romans chapter 10 and verse 16, the Bible says, But they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And of course, Jesus, though he doesn't talk about the gospel as prolifically as uh, Paul would do as the apostle of the gospel itself, 
would say, you need to understand that he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The fact is, is we need to understand that the gospel is what judges us and we must therefore be familiar with it. That's why coming to assemblies like this are important. That's why children's Bible classes are important. That's why home Bible studies are important. That's why it's important for us to always be engaged in personal study of the Bible. And thirdly, the result of the gospel message that we can take to heart and take home with us is peace. Again, going back to Romans chapter 10, backing up one verse in that text that you are likely familiar with. Paul says, how shall they preach unless they have been sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Paul would say to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6 that it is the gospel of peace. And one of the things that we need to acknowledge is that the world is searching for peace in all the wrong places. It reminds me of that old country song, looking for love in all the wrong places. The world is searching for peace in all the wrong places. But the gospel is the only place where real, lasting, and true peace can ever be found. And so we end where we begin. And that is to be converted. It goes back to 1 Corinthians 4, and it goes back to the letter C. The same three C's that were associated with Paul need to be associated with us. I must be concerned with doing the Lord's will on a daily basis. I must be confident in my walk with him. Not pompous, not presumptuous, and not proud but that we are to be confident in the way that we walk with Him. And that confidence comes when we are consistent in our application of His ways. And you know what? While we're on the subject of C's, our favorite letter of the night, only then, when a person is concerned about the Lord's will, confident in His walk, and consistent in His application of His ways, can a person truly say, now I am converted to the gospel. Only then can conversion really happen. It may be that tonight you say, I'm concerned about my conversion. Maybe I was converted to a preacher or converted to a denomination or converted to a family member. And I wasn't really converted through the gospel. Well, you've heard the gospel message over the course of the last three days. And if you've been here week after week after week, you have heard the gospel message as preached by Brother David. And so you know what is necessary, likely, in order to be pleasing to God and to have your sins washed away. We are asking you tonight to become a Christian, to be converted. There's our fifth C of the night. Be like Christ. Be a Christian. If we can help you to do that, we'd love the opportunity to do so. If we can pray with you or for you in any way to help you and strengthen you in your conversion process as well. We would love the opportunity. Let us know while together we stand and while we sing.